We're looking at the topic of giving. We're looking at the topic of, of, of our money. And we're calling this series Entrusted. And we're acknowledging the reality that nothing that we have is truly our own. Everything that we have, we have been given by God. He has entrusted us to handle our finances and to handle our possessions in a way that is glorifying to Him. Now, last week we looked at a story in Mark chapter 14 where a lady came in and anointed Jesus with this perfume and uh, this, this oil. And we were told in the story that some people reacted, some who were in the room reacted, and they said, why was this oil wasted this way? It could have been sold for more than a year's, for about a year's wages, and, and that money could have been given to the poor. And they, 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 they scolded her for her waste. But then Jesus encouraged her, and Jesus says of that woman, defending her gift, He says, she has done what she could. I think those are amazing words. Those are wonderful words. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say that about you? Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say, she has done what she could, or He has done what He could? Because too often, I think we're aware that our efforts fall short of what they could be. We feel like we don't do enough. We feel like we don't give enough. And then we leave way too many things in life just undone. It would feel good to know that when the opportunity came for us to do, for us to give, that we gave our very best, that we gave our best to Jesus, we gave our best to our community, to our church, to our families, that we did what we could. But what happens when you just can't? What happens when you simply can't, when the resources aren't there, when doing what you could still falls terribly short? What do you do then? Well, last week's story was about a woman who gave out of her abundance. She gave out of her wealth. She gave a, a, a very fine and expensive gift to Jesus. This week, the story where we're looking at this week is about a woman. It, it also is about a woman with, with oil. And yet, this time, it's not oil of her abundance. It's not oil of her wealth. It's oil of her poverty. It's oil given out of her lack. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1-7. through 7. You want to use those Bibles in front of you? It's page 309. The, the notes are provided. If you're using the Bible app, the Uversion Bible app, you can get to the notes that way. This story takes place way back in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a story from the life of Elisha. I love the stories about Elisha. Elisha was a prophet, Elisha was a worker of miracles. And in many ways, the miracles that Elisha worked were precursors to the miracles that we see in the life of Jesus. And, and you'll see that, I think, as we look at the story. But before you see the miracle, I want you to see the person who is coming to Elisha. She has a great need, and she has very little with which to meet that need. She comes with a lot of desperation and just a little bit of faith. The story begins there in 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, well, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and, and not too few, and then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons 
and pour into all these vessels. When one is full, set it aside. And so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is no other. Not, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. The story ends with a miracle. God steps in and does something amazing. But before that happened, this woman had a choice. And it's the same choice that every one of us has. Like that woman, we have to admit, we can make a choice. And we have to admit that not everything that we do, not only everything that we choose to do for ourselves is right. Not everything we choose to do for ourselves is right. This woman was in an awful position, not just financially, but, uh, but culturally. Her husband was dead. He had been a prophet. Apparently, he was some associate of Elisha's. And like most prophets, like most preachers, her husband did not leave her with a lot to, to live on. I, I do that on purpose with my wife. I, I want my wife to remember always that I am worth more to her alive than I am dead. And I feel safe. When, I, when she realizes that. I, I'm worth more alive. It's best to keep me around. But bills were due. And in that world, women had very few options and none of the options were good. Her options were she could sell her sons into slavery and pay off the debts or she could sell herself into prostitution. That's the reality of a single woman living in that culture. And that wasn't just the reality that was acceptable. You know, the idea of selling your children, I don't know, maybe you're kind of thinking that wouldn't be a bad plan some days, but the idea of selling your children into slavery, that sounds horrible. That sounds, that sounds inhumane, but it was allowed. It was allowed under the law of Moses. The law of Moses allowed a creditor to take your children into slavery to pay off your debts. It was not illegal. But was it the right choice? She, she gives us some very important information in the very first verse, she says of her husband, she says, you know, he feared the Lord. If we fear the Lord, we will realize that not every choice that's, that's available is the right choice. Not every choice that we can do is what we should do. And I've seen people do some things for money that are perfectly acceptable, perfectly uh, legal, but are they ethical? Are they the right thing to do? When we take advantage of others for our own gain, are we doing the right thing? Back in July, there was an article in the Times Courier Journal Gazette about how much the cities of Charleston and Mattoon were benefiting from video gaming. You know, when I, when I was... First time I drove down the street and I saw a sign that said video games, I thought, this is cool. I'm going to take my daughter in there. We're going to play Pac-Man. It's not Pac-Man. You know, you know why they call it video gaming? Because if you call it video gambling, then that tells people what it really is. You know, And, and so they, they, they were talking about how much the cities of Charleston and Mattoon are, are, are benefiting from, from video gambling. They were so proud of all the money that was coming in, the, the revenue that's coming in. And I wanted to respond, and I wanted to say, 
Why don't you ask the churches how this is working out? Why don't you go to the food pantries and find out how many more people they're helping now because you've gotten them addicted to video gaming, video gambling? Those places, that they, they prey on the poor and the weak. They get people addicted. And I can personally tell you about people who have lost their income, who have lost their paychecks, who have lost their retirement because they got addicted to those things. Down the road, they, they cost. And yet over and over again in Scripture, over and over again in Scripture, God is concerned about the downtrodden. God is concerned about the the poor. God is concerned about people who have no hope. Even read the book of Leviticus. I mean, the book of Leviticus, you know, it's just one of the most difficult books to read in the Bible. And yet, there are laws in the book of Leviticus that, that tell you, farmers, don't go over your fields twice. You leave something for the poor to come and glean themselves. Don't glean the, the edges of your field. You leave that there for, for the poor. You leave that there for the foreigners. You leave that there for the people who have nothing. You make sure you provide for them. And the point was, you have to provide for the poor. You don't take advantage of those people. And you certainly don't make a profit off of their weakness and their lack of hope. If God's concern for those people is going to be seen, you know where it's going to be seen, right? It's going to be seen by us. It's going to be seen by the way that we care. If His love is going to be known by them, it's going to have to be shown by us. Not every choice is the right choice. And I think we get that. But when we choose to honor God, He promises to bless us with everything that we give Him. Now again, the, the miracle really takes center stage in this story, but don't miss out on the little details. It, it's fascinating to see how this miracle plays out and how Elisha works this miracle. Look at verse 2 again. Verse 2, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. By the way, when you hear jar of oil, don't be thinking big jug of oil. You know, this isn't, a, this isn't even a big jug of olive oil. This is a little, it's a little flask of oil. In fact, the, the wording there is the best idea, best thing we can come up with is this is the kind of oil that Jesus was anointed with last week. If you remember, Jesus makes the comment and he says, uh, she has anointed me for my burial. This was the kind of scented oils that they would use to keep the stench down off of a dead body. They would go back and anoint the body several times over the course of a year or so just to keep the smell down. All she had was this flask. And I read that and I can't help but wonder, are we supposed to assume that this is left from her husband's death? Is this what she was using to anoint her husband's body? I think we're supposed to ask that kind of question when we come to this. But I want you to consider how very similar this is to, to what we saw last week in the passage from from Mark 14. There, Jesus was anointed in preparation for burial, but here, this is all that she has. And so we read on in verses 3 through 6. Then he, that is Elisha, says to her, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourselves and your son, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing. 
Can I point something out here? Where's Elisha during this miracle? Is he present during the miracle? He's not there. He's not in that room with her. In fact, it's very particular. It tells us that, that he is not there. It's just her and her sons in this room filling jars and watching God miraculously make the oil flow into the next vessel, into the next vessel. They are facing this test alone. And let me tell you, the moments when God stretches your faith the most, there is a very good chance you will be alone in those moments. Those moments when God stretches your faith the most, you will likely be alone. Your preacher's probably not going to be there when your faith is stretched the most. Your elders probably aren't going to be there. There's a good chance your best friends are not going to be with you in those moments when your faith is stretched the most. Because no one can do that, can do this for you. That's part of it. That's how we grow. That's part of the miracle. The fact that she was to act in faith alone by herself would enlarge her faith. And God responds by filling every vessel that, that she brings to him. You notice that? Every vessel she brings, God fills. And every vessel she doesn't bring, God doesn't fill. Verse 6, she asks her son, she says, bring me another vessel, but there are no more. But if there had been one more vessel, do you know what God would have done? He would have filled it. Every vessel that she brought, he filled. Everything she didn't bring to him, he did not fill. That's the promise. And that's still the promise that we have from God. In other words, it wasn't God who put the limit on this blessing, was it? She put the limit on the blessing when she chose how many jars, how many vessels to bring. How often do we do that? How often do we do that? How far do we say, how often do we say, God, I can trust you this far, but I can't trust you this far. You know, God, I can trust you with this situation, but, but not this situation. God, I can trust you with my family, but I can't trust you with my job. I can trust you with, with uh, my finances, but, but I can't trust you with my health. Or I can trust you, God, I can trust you with my Sunday mornings, but you can't have my Monday mornings at work, or you can't have my Saturday nights, because those are, those are mine. You can't have that, God. There's a verse that we love from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? My God will supply, will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now Paul knew that that was true because he was in a position where he had no choice but to trust God. He was in jail. He was locked up. He had nothing of his own. He was in a position where he had to trust God. And in fact, he could tell the Philippians that this was true because they had helped meet his needs. They had sent him gifts. They had provided for him financially. They had provided the things that he needs. And you realize when you trust God, when you trust God, you have the opportunity to help others trust him also. You have the opportunity to help others grow in their faith also. And that's another important lesson we see in this story. And we can see it in our own lives also. 
And that is, the lesson is this. God blesses us to the point that we can bless others. God blesses us to the point that we can bless others. All of these stories about Elisha here in these chapters, they all take place during a famine. Very, very difficult time in, in the history of God's people. And so we can't miss that, that while, it's, while it's about, the, well, this story is about this woman and her sons, and they are saved to this miracle, there is a greater impact than just what happens in their little home. There is a greater impact than just what happens in that room. Again, verses 6 and 7, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, that is Elisha, she came and told Elisha, and he said, now go and sell the oil and pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Their need was met, but out of the overflow, out of the abundance that God blessed them with, they were able to sell, they were able to trade, they were able to bless other people. You know, it's not hard to see the connection between this miracle and the story of Jesus multiplying the the loaves and the fish. John, every, every gospel tells that story. must be important if every gospel tells it. And yet, John's the one that tells us that, that the story begins with 500 men. We're not told how many women or children, but we're told that there are 500 hungry men that have followed them. And, and the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, send these guys away. What are we supposed to do? We can't feed this many people. And Jesus says, well, what have you got? And they find one little boy, one, one little boy with a good mommy who packed his lunch for him. You know, he's got his lunch. He's got, five, he's got five little loaves of bread. And when it says loaves, they're, we're talking like biscuits, basically. Five little biscuits and two pickled fish. Did your mom ever pack pickled fish for you for lunch? No? Not a very good mom, is she? Anyway, two pickled fish and five little hard loaves of bread. But when the story is done, what do the disciples, what do the disciples pick up? They pick up 12 basketfuls of overflow, 12 basketfuls of leftovers now you think that's significant we got 12 disciples and we have 12 basketfuls you think there's a lesson in that and we supposed to pick up on that we're supposed to see something whereas before all these 12 guys could see was what they didn't have that's all they could see we don't have enough after they trusted jesus suddenly they had more than they need god filled their baskets to bless others god filled the vessels to the point where she could bless others with the oil. What will He do for us when we trust Him? What will He do for us when we trust Him with our finances? What will He do for us when we trust Him with our possessions? What will He do for our church family? What will He do for our community? Will He not fill us with such blessing that we can bless other people? That's the lesson we learn over and over again. We have been entrusted so that we can bless. The only question is whether or not we will trust Him. Will we do things His way? Will we do things His way or will we do things our way? Will we trust Him to fill everything that we give Him? And when He does, will He bless us with the overflow? And will we bless other people with that overflow? Those questions are all, they're all for us. God has already proven Himself over and over again. God is willing to meet our trust with His blessing. You know, at the beginning of the story, the woman comes to Elisha, and really she doesn't come with what she has, she comes with what she doesn't have. She brings what she 
doesn't have to Elisha. Now, she does have something. She has bills. She doesn't have the money to pay those bills. She, she comes and tells him about the bills that, that, that she has. And Elisha says, well, what do you have in your house? And her first response tells us everything we need to know. She says, ah, I have nothing. And then she says, well, wait. I have one little jar of oil, one little container of oil. That's, that's all I've got. And you hear the defeat in that statement. This is all I have, she says, and, and it is not enough. Maybe that's what you've come to God with also. Maybe you've come to Him not with your blessing, not with your overflow, but maybe you've come to Him with your need. And you've come to say, I can't pay my bills. I can't handle this stress. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what I need. The very first call that Elisha has for her is to trust. He says, go to your neighbors and ask for empty jars. Just go and gather up empty jars from your neighbors. And, and I'd like to ask you, what are you willing to trust God with? What are you willing to, to trust God with? Are you willing to trust Him with your finances? Are you willing to trust Him with, even with your failings? Are you willing to trust Him with everything that you don't have? All of those all that emptiness that, that you, you know is a part of who you are, will you trust Him with that? And will you trust Him to transform your trust? Will you let Him entrust you so that you can bless others? Let's stand together and pray. Father, You have blessed us with so much. Every day we're aware of that reality. And so now we ask that You would open our eyes to our need to trust You more. Show us that as we trust You, You will bless us. We, we don't ask this for our own gain. We ask this for our ability to give and bless others. We want them to see Your love and Your compassion at work within us. And so prepare us for opportunities to share with others. Let us see the possibilities that are in front of us and, and let us act not just to meet the physical needs of others, so they might see Your Son in us. So that they might know His compassion through the compassion that we show. They might know His love and His forgiveness through us. We thank You that we get to do that. We get to share in that blessing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.